Welcome everyone again to the HVC podcast. This is our third episode. Proud to say we have dozens of downloads of our previous two episodes. The HVC podcast goal is to educate any provider and staff in common clinical cardiovascular scenarios. These podcasts are just meant for education and are not medical advice and should not be used as such. These posts don't substitute for individualized treatment by your healthcare provider. Now, for this third episode, a great question came to us from Kim, one of our nurse practitioners, about pre-op clearance, the famed cardiac clearance prior to non-cardiac surgery. Uh, we can also call this perioperative guidelines. And most of this comes from the 2014 American College of Cardiology and American Heart Association guidelines, which you could find online. Um, I think when we start looking at how to get a patient ready for surgery, whether they need any cardiac testing, whether they could be cleared, as they say, we have to look at several things. And let's look at this as an algorithm, and I'll summarize at the end. First, this is for non-cardiac surgery. The first step is to look at what type of surgery. Is it a emergency surgery? Now, if this is an emergency surgery, whether that be trauma, major orthopedic accidents that the patient needs surgery, we could stabilize the patient and proceed straight to the surgery. If it's not an emergency surgery, we have to ask, let's look at the patient. Is the patient having acute coronary syndrome in the hospital? Are they having acute congestive heart failure or uncontrolled arrhythmias? The most common in our inpatients is atrial fibrillation. If they do have these conditions, we have to evaluate and treat this cardiac condition and then proceed to the surgery when the patient is stable. Now, even after these conditions are treated, or if the patient does not have these unstable cardiac conditions, let's ask ourselves a couple of things. First, let's see if this is gonna be a low-risk situation or an intermediate or high-risk situation. By low-risk, this is typically with surgeries that are low-risk of causing cardiac issues surgeries with not a lot of fluid shift, not prolonged anesthesia, low risk of bleeding. This would be endoscopic surgeries, endovascular surgeries, such as cardiologists and interventional radiology and vascular surgery does, as well as plastic surgery, and procedures that are not done under general anesthesia. If this is the case, whether the patient is inpatient or outpatient, as long as they don't have one of the acute cardiac conditions such as acute coronary syndrome or heart failure, you can proceed to the surgery. So let's look at an elevated risk patient. This would be intermediate risk surgeries, which would be abdominal surgeries, resections of a part of the body or of a organ amputation, and you also have to include patients with 
significant underlying cardiac disease that has not been evaluated recently. This, even though it's not unstable, a patient with coronary artery disease, congestive heart failure, new EKG changes, or even advanced age. Now, looking at all this, one way to really simplify this, the next step is to look at the METs the patient can do, the metabolic equivalents. And the number that you had to remember is four METs. So if a patient can do four METs of activity or more, they really should be fine even despite having underlying cardiac disease or having the more major surgeries, uh, the intermediate risk surgeries, or even having advanced age for that matter. Now, what comprises four METs of activity? And a really nuanced and very careful history from the patient can help tell us this. Four METs would be going up at least one flight's flight of stairs without stopping. Also walking two blocks or more on flat ground without stopping. The patient doesn't do these things. Probably moderate housework would qualify as four METs. Now, a lot of times the patient is seeing us, especially on an outpatient basis, because they have severe hip arthritis and that's the reason they can't do four METs. So I often ask the patient when the last time they could do about four METs of activity. When's the last time they can go up a flight of stairs at their house? And if they say it was within three to six months before their hip really got worse, I think that that's very reasonable that they could still do four METs as long as they're not having cardiac symptoms. So again, the patients are often limited by their orthopedic issues, their back, their hip, their knees. That's the whole reason they need surgery, not necessarily their cardiopulmonary limitations. So in most patients having intermediate or moderate risk, if they could do four METs of activity, you could clear them for surgery. So the next situations we could look at are more challenging when the patient has a poor or unknown functional capacity, when they are unable to do four METs of activity, and how does this change our decision-making? The first thing to look at is would revascularization, would further cardiac testing change your decision-making? The tests we typically get in these patients are echocardiograms looking for low ejection fraction, looking for significant, especially stenotic valvular disease, especially aortic stenosis in older patients, and stress testing, typically pharmacological Lexi-scan nuclear stress testing, telling us, is there ischemia? Now, the question we had to ask ourselves before ordering the testing is, would it change our management? And would we proceed to valve surgery, revascularization prior to the non-cardiac surgery that we were initially consulted for? So the first situation we should discuss is a common situation that even if we did a stress test, even if we did an echocardiogram, we found some type of abnormality 
it would not change our decision making and we would not proceed to fixing that cardiac issue. In this case, we might have to proceed to the surgery with consideration of a higher risk of perioperative cardiac events, such as heart attacks, such as heart failure. And the patient, the family, the surgeon, and anesthesia needs to be aware of this. Is there alternative or less invasive surgery? Or in some patients, especially some very elderly with multiple medical problems, are we to the point that palliative care is an option? Now, another scenario in patients with a poor functional status is would we proceed to cardiac procedures if the testing was abnormal? And if the answer is yes, then we could proceed to stress testing, typically nuclear stress testing, Lexi-scan, and possibly echocardiogram if it's warranted, if we feel the EKG is abnormal, there is a risk for fabular disease, especially aortic stenosis, or there's a history of congestive heart failure. And can the surgery be delayed while these cardiac procedures and testing are completed? So looking at these guidelines and the way I try to simplify them is really just look at the three basic things. Number one, look at the patient. Do they have coronary artery disease? Do they have congestive heart failure, arrhythmias, a history of any of these things, even if it's not acute? Advanced age, I think, is a significant risk factor. And I typically think of advanced age as greater than 80 to 85. Um, the second thing is the METs. The METs, the metabolic activity, the functional status, really helps you. And in a functional patient, you can avoid extra testing. So greater than four METs. Which is one block, which is two blocks or one flight of stairs. And also look at the type of surgery. Is this a low risk surgery? Is it a high risk surgery? And typically, if two out of three of these, you get the green light, you're in the positive, you could proceed to the surgery at a low risk. So let's look at some examples. I think that's the best way to look at this. Um, number one, a 60 year old, with no previous heart issues, very active, goes backpacking and hikes many miles. Unfortunately, has a brain tumor, so they need surgery for this. So a patient we could see any day in the hospital or in our clinics. So it is a high-risk procedure, prolonged anesthesia, prolonged ICU stay, but the patient can do more than four METs, and they really don't have a significant cardiac history. So you get basically those two green lights, good METs and a low-risk patient. So I think they're low-risk for the neurosurgery. How about a 85-year-old wheelchair-bound patient with a history of coronary artery disease and bypass surgery, but stable, normal exam, no murmur, who needs cataract surgery? Well, since this is cataract surgery, they don't need general anesthesia, it's felt to be low risk to proceed because this is a low risk surgery, despite the patient's poor functional status. How about a similar 85 year old in a wheelchair, history of coronary artery disease, 
you do hear a systolic murmur, but this patient needs major neurosurgery, brain surgery for a tumor. Well, the functional status is poor, so they don't get that green light. It's a high-risk surgery because it's neurosurgery with the anesthesia, prolonged ICU stay, possibly, and the patient, greater than 85, history of heart disease, even though no active hospitalization for the heart disease. So this patient should get a stress test, a chemical, Lexi-scan, and probably an echo too because of the murmur. Here's a very common situation. A 70-year-old, no previous cardiac history, who needs hip surgery. When you interview them, they're not active. They really haven't done much outside of their house for the last two years because of the hip. So despite not any cardiac issues, their functional status is very poor. So looking at this patient, they're, they don't get the METs because they're less than four METs. It's at least a moderate risk surgery because it is hip surgery. So they require general anesthesia. And despite this patient being 70 without previous cardiac history, they they have a moderate risk surgery and they can't have four METs. So this patient should get stress testing prior to the non-cardiac surgery. So I hope this helps you. I think look at each situation, really consider the patient, the type of surgery, and if they could do four METs or not. And typically if you get two of these, two out of three of these things, you can proceed to surgery safely. Thank you very much and look forward to our next podcast.